This is the Masonic Light Podcast featuring Pete Ruggieri and Larry Maris. A non-stuffy, somewhat humorous approach to understanding our craft. We guarantee you'll have a good time or your money back. This podcast is not endorsed or approved by the Grand Lodge or any jurisdiction. In fact, they'll probably hate it. And now, here's our host, Pete Ruggieri and Larry Maris. Okay. Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome back to Masonic Late Podcast. This is uh, Pete Ruggieri. With me is Larry Maris. Filling in for Jason Lewis is Jack Harley. And our special guest today is the Reverend Dr. Christopher Rodkey. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. There we go. And um, so, hey, we've, it's, we've been gone a couple weeks. Um, one, just because of schedule. And then another reason, um, we had a, uh, an illness last week, so we weren't able to, uh, to record last week. So we're back. So uh, It wasn't me. For once. So, uh, so Larry, how, how have you been? And like, you've got the, you're the keeper of the agenda. So tell us what's, what's up. Well, what we're going to do is uh, first thing, talk about the week that was. Okay. So what uh, was your maybe week? Maybe the past two weeks of what was. So uh, what was your week? Well, pretty much my week was kind of slow since our lodges are not open for the summer. Um, we had our goose and gridiron breakfast, which was highly attended, except for you. And uh, we did a lot of discussions Shame. there. And actually, Jack and Louis, uh, Jason and I actually planned today's festivities. It was nice of you to plan today's <laughs> yeah, festivities and not tell me about I, it. I, I it was sort of a coup d'etat. Like <laughs> yeah, so Chris asked me yesterday, uh, what time are we meeting? And I, and I told him... <laughs> And then I find out, find out this morning, no, we're not meeting where we had discussed last week. You, you, you just t- usurp my power, like Alexander Haig. It was, it was unintentional, but like I said, we decided at breakfast that we were going to be here. And I sent you uh, an IM a couple days ago telling you, but you were confused because he said somewhere else. There's Larry punching microphones. He's getting really excited. I was getting triangulated in a minute forty-five a domestic dispute. <laughs> yes. Uh, so is that all you had? Was the the breakfast, Larry? Well, we had that. But one of the things I want to mention is we're talking about bringing a pin, a goose and gridiron pin. I've seen the design; it's great. But we're talking about putting the year 2017 on there, only due to the fact that that's the 300th anniversary of the United Grand Lodge of England. The Mother Grand Lodge. Yeah, but we're not from England. And we're not from England, no, but we still celebrate it, after all. Uh, that was uh, some of the things that were going on in Goose and Grid. Uh, well, you have my vote is no, so, but just lodge my vote. Our, uh, the fellowship committee for our lodge met Wednesday, uh, I'd say a couple weeks ago, and we uh, decided on a lodge picnic in October. Good choice of a date. And... Uh, The conversation actually deteriorated so badly, in fact, that they decided they were going to form a bowling team and join the league. That's how bad it got. Was was it like darts and shuffle alley unavailable? Oh, yeah, that's next. Yeah. Well, maybe that's still like not the lowest form of athleticism. Cornhole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so Jack, did you have anything going on last week? Last week, Masonically, uh, no, I, I, I did make it to the Gruesome and Gridiron breakfast, but uh, other than that, I was uh, gleefully Masonically ignorant last week, so it was good. Chris, have you, you've been really busy with your personal life and your professional life. Anything uh, Masonically related? Well, being in national news the last three weeks has been kind of busy, and I had a vacation in the middle of all that. But Yeah, uh, so this is a rare, rare Sunday that you're not actually... Uh, 
standing in front of your congregation. Yeah, today is day one of a writing retreat that I've had scheduled. So how's that writing going? <laughs> well, this is the first thing, so I'm on air and not writing, but that's okay. The uh, the only thing I did kind of masonically, I guess, was yesterday I showed up at Masonic Villages. They had a uh, car oh, show. Car show, yeah. That was uh, from the pictures. It was awesome. It was actually very um, very good attendance. Apparently, it was advertised heavily in car circles. Mm-hmm. So people that are into that thing. Um, I thought it was really uh, hot there. It's you know anytime. I mean, I, maybe that's typical for car things. It's just generally bad to do things in ninety degree heat with masons. <laughs> You know, we're, we're, you know, those of us that are under 80 uh, generally are not uh, the uh, picture of health anyway. <laughs> but the old guys, uh, yeah. So as far as I know, there were no fatalities and a lot of prizes were given out. Did they make any money? I think so. I mean, I, you know, I just, they charged, I believe, $12 per car and, uh, you know, ballpark figure. There were at least 100 cars and trucks I saw. So good. They made a little money. And uh, a lot of people got to see the pretty campus. So I went and bought some fruit at the uh, the market. So there's a plug for the market. Maybe we can get Joe from uh, Masonic Villages on here someday. The I was going to say, you can elaborate on that, that the farm market up there is beautiful. They've got some really nice produce that they grow right on the campus. It's, uh, it's yeah. quite a thing. Yeah, they grow their own uh, apples, peaches, pears, nectarines, whatever, strawberries, cows. They grow cows. I, I think uh, mm. we're, we're, we're very lucky being in Pennsylvania. With the Masonic facilities, Masonic homes that we have throughout the state, particularly our flagship in Elizabethtown, is one of the most beautiful campuses and beautiful places mm-hmm. I think I've ever visited. We have the Cultural Center there, which is superb. We have a whole lot of other things there, too. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. Is your application in yet, Larry? No, actually, a little bit more expensive for me than I would want to pay. Okay. I saw Larry Hudson's video of whoever that was dancing. I think it was Pete Knoll. Was, is that who it was? Yeah. That just uh, reminded me that I'm not ready to go to Masonic <laughs> Villages yet. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, that was the week that was. I guess we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk to our, our special guest, uh, Chris Rocky. Today, more than ever, the fate of nations is led by a cabal of individuals and corporations. From the price of gas and basic necessities continually escalating, people are feeling like puppets with a chosen few pulling the strings. In other words, follow the money. In a fascinating work of historical fiction, The Red Serpent chronicles how the rich and powerful have prevailed through the centuries of history. 5,000 years after Sumerians bury the greatest wealth of knowledge the world has ever known, traces of it surface in the 20th century, along with omens and executions. The Vatican is in a frenzy to possess it. A secret society will stop at nothing to control it, and innocent people are doomed by obscure connections with it. In a bizarre quirk of fate, an obsessed French policeman, an alluring philology professor, an ex-Mossad rabbi, and a powerful Jewish family join forces to solve a triad of ancient puzzles. They must battle their way through Europe, outwit assassins, and dodge overwhelming foes. But how do they convince governments to aid them in their quest? What if they run out of time? And can they pull off the phenomenon that will change civilization forever? The Red Serpent by Larry Maris is available at Amazon, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble, plus fine bookstores everywhere. 
Masonic Light. This is uh, Mike Hambrick. I am from Village Lodge, number 274 of the Grand Lodge of Ohio. And I'm listening to you from Painesville, Ohio. Uh, I've been listening to you since your very first episode. Um, I like it a lot. I listen to podcasts galore, but I really like yours a lot, too. So, anyway, um, just wanted to, you know, give a shout-out to you guys and uh, say hi. Uh, actually, it's very funny. We actually just missed each other at the uh, Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge. I was there actually to watch the uh, Masonic Roundtable as well. Anyway, have, uh, thank you for putting on your show and uh, have a good day. Okay. Hey, we're back. Um, and our special guest today is uh, is Brother Chris Rocky. Um, Chris, we don't uh, we don't try and do it too. As, as Jack has coined a wonderful phrase called apron sniffing. <laughs> so we don't want to do too much apron sniffing here, but um, give give kind of like a, a quick background of your Masonic background, and then we'll talk about your personal background. Sure. Well, I found out about Freemasonry uh, because my father is a Freemason. He's a member of Columbia Lodge, and uh, I would always see the mail coming in and be interested in it as a kid. And uh, when I was doing uh, doctoral work at Drew University, I did some freelance writing. And when you do freelance writing for reference books, you end up, uh, if you can turn things in on time, you they give you more work. And one time I wrote something on war profiteering during the Civil War or after the Civil War. And then I was asked at the last minute to write something on fraternalism after the Civil War. And uh, I had no idea just how prevalent Freemasonry and Odd Fellowship and all of those groups were after the Civil War. And that got me interested on an academic level. I joined Lodge 226 in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, when I was a pastor in that area. And uh, I've gotten involved with some other Masonic groups. I don't live in Lebanon anymore, so I'm not near my Blue Lodge, but I stay involved with different things. And um, I guess on a personal level, so you, uh, you, you've got... Maybe mention some of your different, like where you went to school, because I remember we had a conversation one time about the vast differences of uh, faiths that you encountered through your educational career. Sure. Well, I grew up in a, a, a brethren uh, offshoot church in Lancaster, and... Do you, did they like dance with snakes and drink strychnine or anything like that? No, it was pretty, pretty normal. It was, uh, it, it, they were, uh, well, there's a whole history of that particular movement, but they were more or less mainline Protestant conservative and uh, became a United Methodist as a teenager. Uh, so I was baptized in evangelical, uh, confirmed as a Methodist. But then I went to seminary, uh, to college at a Benedictine Catholic college in St. Vincent. Been all over the place, haven't you? In, uh, in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And then I went to the University of Chicago, which is a secular uh, divinity school with background in American Baptist tradition. And then I did uh, two doctorates, one at a Unitarian Universalist uh, institution and the other at a, a graduate division of a Methodist university. And now you're a pastor at a uh, UCC church. In the United Church of Christ, yeah. Wow, so, you so you can't really hold a job. Is that what you're saying? Is okay. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Oh, so, uh, Larry, you, you actually did some uh, pre-interview here with Chris, so I'm going to let you uh, and, or treat our fans. Larry's going to conduct this interview. <laughs> Chris, one of the things you and I talked about, we've been talking late at night sometimes, well, on the, on the phone, but uh, one of the things that just totally interests me, you have a pretty extensive Masonic bi biography. Tell us a little bit about, one, the Pennsylvania Academy, Pennsylvania Lodge of Research, and some of the other offshoots of Freemasonry you're involved with. 
Sure. Well, like all of you, I'm a member of Ubar Grotto. Um, I wasn't part of the organization of that uh, particular body, but I was there when they chartered uh, the group. And uh, I've been the chaplain of Ubar Grotto for a couple of years, so I've seen the behind the scenes stuff a little bit. And um, I'm involved with the Tall Cedars in York with Forest Number 30, and I belong to the York Wright groups as well. Uh, this year, I'm at the bottom of the line for the Lodge of Research, which means I'm the Tyler, uh, although I, I ended up being appointed as the, the chaplain at the last meeting. Uh, I always end up as the chaplain somehow. And um, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to spending some time with that in the coming years uh, because I think it's a really interesting group. But one of the things that really attracted me to Freemasonry in Pennsylvania when I did petition was the existence of the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge. I saw the websites for it uh, when I lived out of state still, and I thought... So, okay, folks, sorry, uh, Larry's pacemaker went off and it kind of screwed up our audio. <laughs> so we're going to jump back in with Chris. So Chris, get back to Academy of Masonic Knowledge. So I saw the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge on the internet before I became a Mason. And I said, this is something I'd like to do. So I, I believe the weekend after I was raised in the Blue Lodge, I sent my petition in to be a member of the Academy of Masonic Knowledge. And what I think is really great about the Academy is that it doesn't cost anything. Uh, it's one of the rare instances that there isn't any minimal dues and you um, they have programs twice a year that are very good, usually, and uh, they're held at the uh, Masonic Village campus in Elizabethtown. And they have a program that you can do. It's kind of a self-study program where you uh, read books and write book reports and write your own original research and do presentations. And you get certain certain number of points to do that. And uh, there's three different levels of certification you can get, um, just like all things in Freemasonry. There's always three. So the top one is the uh, Master Masonic Scholar, which involves a jewel that you can wear to any uh, Masonic meeting, which I did. And usually to get to that point, you have to carry out some uh, fairly significant research project. I, I would put it, it's kind of like doing a college course on Freemasonry in terms of the amount of time and amount of reading you do on it. But I think it's it's pretty self-directed, and I, I think the people that run it are really encouraging to uh, Masons that want to do it that might feel a little intimidated about doing uh, writing reports and doing things that they haven't done since high school or college. You are a Master Masonic scholar, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, right? Mm -hmm. You wear the jewel. Mm -hmm. There are probably, statistically, about, what, 78 in the entire state of Pennsylvania? Not a big number. So it's quite an honor to get to that point. Yeah, I'm told it's it's I don't know what the number is, but I'm told it's not very many finishing. Not very many. It took but it took me a while to do it. Um, I think it took five years for me to go through it, just doing it on my free time here and there. I've been doing it for three years. I'm a level one. I have all the work done for two and three, but it's just taken a while. Go ahead, Pete. Make the number two joke. Right uh, do it. You're do number it. two in my book. <laughs> So I thought we were having a Scientology discussion here for a second. Sorry. We're all talking about the, our different levels. Sorry. <laughs> I'm clear. <laughs> oh, Larry, keep up with your interview. You're doing such a good job. Chris, one of the things I, I'm fascinated by is the fact that you're working on a book, and we'll get to that in a little bit. You're also author, at least according to Amazon, of about seven books right now. I know you've published papers. I know you, uh, we talked this morning, I realize you're working on four or five books right now. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your writing, your books and so forth. Incidentally, 
Christopher, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Rodkey, R-O-D-K-E-Y. Go to Amazon and all the books are there. You can buy good prices. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, writing is my hobby and doing academic research is my hobby. Uh, my primary position, uh, my primary employment is as a pastor. So what I do for research is kind of like my free time. So it's what I like to do. And um, so I'm always interested in expanding that and um, being someone who's a academic working outside of academia. I'm not a full time professor. Um, I, I find it important to keep my foot in that arena and keep publishing and giving papers. And sometimes that's really difficult to do. But uh, but I really enjoy doing it. So uh, the first book, the first commercially published book that I that I wrote was called The Synaptic Gospel, which is about neuroscience and religious education. It was the dissertation of my first doctorate. And then I've published uh, two books of sermons. One's called Too Good to Be True. And the other one, which just came out a few months ago, is called The World is Crucifixion. I also edit a series uh, of books with uh, the Davies Group publishers. And we've just published the second book in that series, which if you look at my name, you'll, it'll look like I authored it, but I'm really the editor of it. That's awesome. You're working on a book right now, which I am absolutely fascinated with. And one of the discussions we had a few weeks ago was, and when we say this quite often here, I think on these shows, folks, Freemasonry is not a religion. And we've been saying that for hundreds and hundreds of years. But you and I had a conversation about what you're writing right now, which is essentially talking about that, writing about that. You tell me to tell us about that. So the, your final project for the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge on the Master Scholar level is to do an original research project that is probably expected to be the length of a journal journal article and involve original research. I decided that I was going to write a book length manuscript when doing it because I had an idea of what I wanted to do. And I was able to use some of the stuff I had done uh, in the program leading up to that point. So I, I wrote a short book. Uh, the title of it is uh, Murdered Between the Altar and the Temple. And um, it takes the perspective of postmodernism and Freemasonry. And by postmodernism, I don't mean kind of a fancy word to throw around. I mean the tradition of philosophical postmodernism that comes out of continental philosophy. And I, I asked the question of what does it mean uh, or what would it mean to think about Freemasonry in a postmodern context today? We like to talk about how Freemasonry is uh, part of the the uh, the nexus of the Enlightenment and modernity. Uh, and now that we are in post modernity, we what is the role of Freemasonry? I need I need some cliff notes. Okay, <laughs> can somebody can somebody Google he these terms for me? Exploded. Yeah. We're gonna have to clean this. For I'm a so busy talking about like grotto and booze that somehow we just became the Masonic Roundtable and discussing like, yeah. like high end stuff. <laughs> <laughs> can, I can, you dumb, can you dumb that down for me, Chris, please? <laughs> well, so to summarize, I, I take the tradition of postmodernism. I use some of the tools of this philosophical uh, mode of modality to uh, to rethink Freemasonry or, or think through its history. So uh, the last chapter of it takes up the question of religion. And I I want to approach the question that uh, is Freemasonry a religion or not is something that's often talked about. And the answer we're often given is no, it is not a religion. And there's different ways of answering that, that Freemasonry is relig religious, but not a religion. Well, whenever you look into the written material that 
supports that claim, it is usually uh, employing a definition of religion that nobody uses. And uh, one of the contributions of postmodern uh, philosophy of religion is rethinking what a religion really is. And using those definitions, we I think we can say that Freemasonry is a religion. Oh, oh I know. Well, oh. we, sh we, we show up on a regular basis. <laughs> we give a lot of our income to this well, But there's thing. no wicker basket passed around, so that makes it not. So well, we do have change for the troops available. outside. Our, we keep the wicker basket in the hallway. Ah, that's it. That's it. Oh, so, my. So to... And how I go about doing that is I say, well, in this in the question, is Freemasonry a religion? It depends what you mean by Freemasonry. It depends what you mean by religion. So if you define those things however you want, you can get the answer you want. But um, my perspective is that um, there are Freemasonry is not a religion like Christianity, but it is a religion that has some similarities to other world religions in that it is parasitical. It, it seems to it seems to require you to have another religious system that you're already working with. I'm understanding everything he's saying, by the way. I see you. Yeah, you're all making faces. I see faces. your face grimacing, you know. It's, it's symbiotic. Parasite to the host. Right. So the, the, the host is Christianity and we're the parasite. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, in that, right. And that Freemasonry as a, which comes out of a mystical tradition of Rosicrucianism and so on. The Kabbalah. And yeah, and all that. The that's a store up in Hamburg, right? That sells guns. <laughs> oh, Cabela's. That's right next to the cigar <laughs> shop. Yeah, <laughs> I like the deer antlers there. Deer antler uh, chandeliers. I like the airplane hanging from the ceiling. I heard there was a camo couch. I've never seen it. <laughs> so, um, what what the reason why postmodern philosophy is interested in the question of religion is because the way in which we define what a religion is, is often a West, what we would call Western construction. And is always often is prioritizing Christianity as the exemplar of what a religion must be and how a religion must be defined to be a legitimate religion. And we, some of that see some of that politically in the news. Like lately you hear people, uh, evangelical Christians saying, well, Islam isn't really a religion. Well, it clearly is a religion. Uh, don't steal my thunder um, from me. We're getting into an area that I want to talk about later. Yeah. So um, I don't think this really changes anything for Freemasonry, but I, I think it's a different way of looking at what Freemasonry is and how it uh, how it often operates in people's lives. Now, Freemasonry can be many different things and many different people. Uh, so a lot of Freemasons are not interested in the intellectual traditions around it, and that's okay. So if Freemasonry is a fraternity or a place to... Uh, for people that like to flip pancakes, if that's what you like to do, then that's what it is. Uh, it's, it's often self-defined, but I'm talking about Freemasonry in terms of its intellectual trajectory of where it came from. I actually think we're Episcopalian, but that's beside the point. <laughs> so you've done a lot of, um, you recently got a nice honor from the uh, Knights Templar, the commandery. Um, you got a tour of the Holy Lands. Yeah, two years ago, I was uh, nominated uh, to go to... Uh, Israel and uh, most states in the country, uh, their commanderies or the Knights Templar of the York Rite Freemasons send one or more pilgrims to the Holy Land, which comes out of the long tradition of the Templars protecting the, the passageways into the Holy Land for pilgrims. Um, I was selected to go uh, from Pennsylvania, and it was awesome. It was uh, there were clergy from all over the country there. Uh, some were Freemasons, uh, most of them were not. 
uh, men and women from different denominations. And pretty much all I had to do was show up at the uh, JFK airport and they took care of us from there. And uh, it was really life changing and something that I use. The information I learned there is something that has really affected my my pastoral work, which is what it was supposed to do. Um, but I also made some great friends. And one of the really cool things I got to do was I got to attend a lodge meeting in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, there was an e English speaking lodge there. And and uh, what I always say about that to people is that that's the only place I really saw Jews, Muslims and Christians in the same place engaging with each other actively. Uh, you did see Jews and Muslims and Christians walking around the streets and doing different things. Uh, but there's a lot of segregation, ethnic segregation in the city and, and in the cultural life. But there it was different. And uh, that's that indicates to me what I what I hope Freemasonry can be and do in the world. There's a great example of that. Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem called Mother Lodge, and he describes that exactly in colonial India. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, Larry, do you need, oh, La oh, Larry's giving the, um, crossing his legs. We're going to take a quick, quick, quick potty break for Larry, and we're going to come back with some more from our guest, Christopher Rocky. The Masonic Light Podcast is sponsored by MasonicScarves.com, home of unique Masonic-themed soccer scarves. Our scarves aren't printed. All of the artwork is knitted into the design. We can also do custom-made designs featuring your local lodge or commemorating an event. These make a great gift for visitors, members, or for fundraising. Visit our website at MasonicScarves.com and click on the Shop Now button to see our full catalog. At checkout, use code PODCAST and you'll get $5 off per scarf. www.MasonicScarves.com This is Sean Dykehouse. I'm listening from Ann Arbor Fraternity Lodge number 262, Ancient and Free Accepted Masons of Michigan. You are listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. And we're back with the Reverend Dr. Al Sharpton. No, um, sorry, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Rogge. Sorry, Larry, Larry was giving me instructions and I get all confused. So, so go ahead, Larry. You, you're, I don't want to derail you anymore. Okay, one of the things we were, were talking about you and I constantly, and I see postings in Facebook. I even see you in the news. You've had an interesting three weeks. News media coverage, nationally, I might add. Tell us how you became so popular. Yeah, it's been a really r weird ride the last uh, month or so. Um, at the beginning of the month of Ramadan, I, which is the holiest month of the year for Muslims, I... Uh, I put a sign out in front of the church. Uh, I put some different, something different on the sign every week. And I just wrote, uh, uh, wishing a blessed Ramadan to our Muslim neighbors. And uh, I asked the volunteer church to put it up and it went up. And the day before it was scheduled to come down, I was at a conference in Sealands Grove and, um, I was in a meeting, so I got a call, um, and it was a really angry rant. Now I expect that sort of thing. And I sometimes get pushed back from, the community for for being kind of a progressive or liberal church in southern york county but um the 
the the it was a particularly nasty uh message and but then i thought you know this idiot called my phone my cell phone uh which used to be able to on the church's phone number be able to go through the menu and then get to my personal cell phone for pastoral emergencies that's how he got my number um he he um uh, I could, he left his phone number more or less on my phone. I could see what number it was from. So I thought, well, I'm just going to Google it to see who this idiot was. And, uh, and as it happens, it was a person of interest. It was a, a recently elected uh, delegate to the RNC uh, convention uh, for Donald Trump and someone who was actually on a, a school board in, in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. So I sat on this for a couple of days. I called the Republican party in, in, um, well, I, in searching for him, let me back up. In searching for him, I went on his Twitter account and I was appalled at the stuff I saw on there. Uh, lots of rants about uh, Islam uh, and Muslims um, to the point that I would call it racist. Uh, some stuff about uh, homosexuals and particularly about uh, gay parents of children. And I, I just could not believe that this man was on a school board. And if this if this person was on my school board, I would be at the school district demanding a resignation. This this, this is not acceptable in my worldview. So I sat on it for a few days and um, and the man put on Twitter uh, a picture of our church sign and the church's phone number uh, and asked people more or less said to, to harass us. And he tagged Ann Coulter on on the tweet. Um, and we started getting phone calls that were not kind. And I had to disconnect the phone because I know that people could get to my personal cell phone if I, if I left it on there and the f calls started coming in, I, I decided to write a, a, an editorial for the York daily record uh, that more or less said, you know, use this as an example about Islamophobia and racism in, in York County and York County is a place that is infamous for electing fringe people to, um, to school boards, uh, as you know, ended up in the Supreme Court decision in uh, in uh, Dover uh, Dover School District a few years ago. And uh, York's also as far as the Confederacy made it in the Civil War. Am I correct? York County and Gettysburg. There's a little battle yeah, there. They're still yeah, part of the Confederacy, yeah, yeah. actually. Yes. Yeah, actually, a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of the guys stayed up here and intermarried. Yes. So uh, I wrote this editorial and the newspaper decided they were going to uh, uh, do a story on it. And it got picked up by USA Today and the Associated Press and then Washington Post picked up on it and NPR and CBS and ABC and N NBC and eventually Fox News to it. Um, and then it went internationally into newspapers, into Asia and, and England and throughout Europe. Um, uh, in fact, and we've just been getting calls, most of them positive and uh, suddenly I found myself in the middle of this culture war around uh, the acceptability of Muslim immigrants in the United States. And uh, uh, there's lots of twists and turns. This story, it just kind of keeps going. And uh, uh, today, today in the York Daily Record, there's a there's an editorial written by the local rabbi in support of me. The story just keeps going. Um, but it's been a good thing. We've had a few people leave my church as a result of it, um, who weren't so upset about us wishing a happy Ramadan to people, but that it was in the news. Uh, they didn't want to be identified with this, I, I assume. And, um, what you're saying is they didn't want people to know they go to church. I'm sorry. What you're saying is the people didn't want to know other people. Well, what I'm trying to say is Larry, you have no idea your, what you're saying. You left your, they left your church. Yes. Cause you're in the news. Yes. 
They didn't want to be ID'd as a member of your congregation? Or? They didn't want to be ID'd, I assume, as a member of a congregation with a pastor that is supportive of Islam. Oh. And I've been maintaining from, from the beginning that I'm not saying anything about the acceptability of Islam. I'm not saying anything about the theology of Islam. In fact, I... I think, um, in fact, I've published on this that that uh, I think there's significant differences of theology uh, between Christianity and Islam that are often taken for granted. And um, but I think just wishing someone a nice holiday is being a good neighbor. That's what it's about. And um, I'm really shocked that just this kind of minor act of kindness became this huge deal. But I've been invited to speak at mosques all over the place. I and um uh, I did accept one invitation that fit into the schedule and every single man there at the, at the Islamic community of Lancaster thanked me and they asked me to speak and they gave me a trophy and, and uh, I wasn't sitting in the women's section during their Ramadan iftar, but the, the women that were there from my church were saying that the, they were just in tears talking about what this meant to them. And it indicated to me that there's there's a real desire for, uh, I think, white men uh, in positions of power and privilege to to act, actually just be kind and advocate for kindness. And um, I didn't really think this was a big deal before. But as this is going, it's it's becoming a big deal. And and in fact, on f uh, this past week, I was in the paper again that I, I was in uh, there was a, a Eid prayer service that had to be moved for security reasons in York. And uh, they asked clergy to come in and act kind of like security and in solidarity with the, the Muslims that were there praying uh, for the first uh, community meal during daytime hours after the month of Ramadan. And uh, I, uh, it, it was a good experience to see. I've never seen that particular prayer service before, but um, it, Friday I met with some uh, female Muslims in, in York County and a member of the Department of Justice about all of this. And, and uh, I think some interesting things are going to come as a result of it, uh, of, of the faith groups in York County working together. But uh, I'm still getting calls and emails from Pakistan, from Germany, uh, from Scandinavia, all over the place. And most of them are positive. We, we had flowers sent to us by different Muslim communities in the United States. It's, it's really been a, a, a neat experience. I, I do grieve a little bit of the negativity, but um, I, I would have never guessed that this would be my, my 15 minutes of fame. Did a good job too, by the way. Well, let, I mean, let's try to pull it all back into a little bit more with, with uh, into Freemasonry uh, and religion. Why do so? Why do you think that so many religions have a uh, a hard time with Freemasonry? I have my own opinion, which is not educated. It's just me having an opinion. But <laughs> no, you having an opinion? No way. And my opinion is it's money. My opinion is it's time and money. If you spend time with the Freemasons, that's where your time's going. That's where your money's going, and you're diverting it away from the church. So, what is the more educated uh, answer? Well, I do think that's part of it, but historically. Um, Countries and politicians uh, and and uh, royalty who were not interested in religious tolerance or democracy always had a problem with Freemasonry. So in places of the world that that uh, the leadership looks down on democracy and uh, and free speech and, and uh, the things that come out of the Enlightenment, they, they've banned Freemasonry and um I think a lot of it today with specific specifically with religious groups in the United States uh, that are Protestant, um, deep down, part of the religiosity is to be intolerant. 
And uh, this isn't going to make any friends for me saying it, but but uh, if if for example this controversy about um, uh, whether people of faith can make uh, cakes for gay weddings, well, I, I I find it bizarre that someone has to have the same religious background as me to be able to serve them in a business, um, and that there's this sense that discriminating against people is uh, something that God blesses. Uh, I'll be the first to say that if, if you think that your God blesses you for discrimination, uh, I don't think that's a God that exists. And, and I think a big part of the attraction to me of Freemasonry is the practice of religious tolerance, uh, which has always been there. And um, uh, as, as you know, and your audience knows that one has to believe in a, in a single higher power uh, to be a Freemason. And that's, that's your religious requirement beyond that. And I've, I've met some really great Jewish uh, Freemasons and uh, Muslim Freemasons and, and pagan Freemasons as well. Um, and uh, I, I think we can talk about why that, why that requirements there and so on, but uh, religious tolerance is, is part of what Freemasonry is about. And, and thinking in terms of how radical Freemasonry was in England, uh, during the 1700s was Protestants and Catholics were killing each other in the streets. It was really a terrible time. Uh, and we forget about that. And Freemasonry became the secret society where uh, uh, Catholics and Protestants and, and Druids uh, found themselves together in, uh, in uh, the same room and talking about democracy and free speech and, and, their, and supporting each other when in public they might not be able to, to give face to that. Do you see anything with all the all the problems we have going on in the news media the past couple of weeks? And since this is a recorded show, somebody could be listening to it later. But in the past few weeks, there was the Orlando shooting, mm -hmm. the police officers getting shot down in Dallas, the um, the civilians getting shot by police officers in the mm -hmm. past couple of weeks. And, you know, everybody has all their opinions on it. You know, I'll try and stay away from those. But just. I'm just trying to think, you know, do you think Freemasonry could have any role in trying to pull, you know, some common sense together for this? Well, it's really interesting. And I, I don't know if you all are aware of this, that the um, one of the police officers shot uh, in Dallas was a Freemason. Uh, but also the there was a CNN interview. A oh, few yeah, days the, ago. the nephew of uh, past Grandmaster of Prince Hall, right? No, I no. So Dallas police officer that was killed was a Freemason. No, but uh, the C uh, Castile, the young man that was killed, uh, his uncle is. Uh, I don't remember what his title is. A past past Grandmaster, past Deputy Grandmaster. I'm, I'm not sure. something of his Prince Hall jurisdiction in the Prince Hall jurisdiction. Gave a long interview, and it's a really heartbreaking interview. Very honest interview on CNN uh, with the mother of the man that was killed. And at the end of the interview, he said, I just want to say one more thing. And then he adds on the, the call of distress uh, that Freemasons all know. And uh, and the woman that interviewed him on CNN didn't know what else to say. She said, amen, you know, uh, thinking it was some sort of prayer. And uh, I have to ask, you know, what what is it he's calling for distress for? Is it is it funds for the family and, and so on? Uh, I don't think that's really been made known. Um, but I think that this Masonic lodges can be centers of tolerance in communities. And uh, I often say, what if the Masonic Lodge became the place where the community learned about uh, religious tolerance and 
the history of the world in ways that aren't taught in high schools and aren't being talked about in the mainstream media. That on both sides of this issue, we have Freemasons. We um, uh, and I think maybe we can we can be the the middle ground that says that you know violence is bad in general and the violence that kills police officers and the violence that that kills unarmed black men uh by police officers is is one in the same and doesn't require us to pick sides um now that might be political and we might not all be on the same page about that but i i i think that freemasonry uh, if taken seriously could be a good place of opening those conversations right i mean i i think one thing that the world needs to have more of is uh being able to have intelligent discussions, even if you, you disagree about things like I saw it was a Van Jones and Newt Gingrich actually having a kind of an adult conversation on this topic the other day. Well, it, Facebook blew up after that CNN article. And there was a there was a lot of Grand Lodge input from various entities. And there were a lot of people that were chiming in. I know Chris Hodap had mm -hmm. a huge uh, string going on on that afterwards. And I, I, I think I think it's it's energized something in the fraternity. And I, I hope it sticks because, you know, if you can't speak to each other, then how can you possibly hope to resolve these issues? So one of my frustrations with dealing with racial justice in the church, which is something I'm interested in as a pastor, is is that the doctrine of original sin in Protestantism and in Catholicism um, ultimately says that there's a point it plays out in a way that there's a point where we have to just say, we can't fix this. You know, society's too screwed up. We'll never fix this. There'll always be racism. And uh, we can only, we all we can do is pray. And you see this play out in social media that the response to just stuff is just prayers, you know, um, which is really just paying lip service to taking it seriously. And uh, it creates a situation where there's a sense of deferred justice um, that, you know, my I'm not going to be able to take care of figure it out, but my children's generation might be able to take care of it. So there's this modeling of every generation of putting off to having this conversation. Kind of like the budget deficit. Pretty much like that. Yep. Uh, although that is something that's much easier fixed uh, than racism. It's probably true. Uh, I mean, I, I'm such a cynic. I, I have two cats and I name them thoughts and prayers because they don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my, you know. But Freemasonry, for as abstract of its intellectual tradition, is is about action. It is it is about connecting the interior life to the exterior life of the person. And uh, I think the Freemasonry may be the place where that could happen. Whether it does is remains to be seen. But um, I'm really it's been really interesting to see how Freemasons have talked about this um, in a in a in an adult way. Uh, there isn't a, a lot of screaming and yelling about it. Uh, and people, I think, are willing to listen uh, and maybe maybe uh, instead of talking and talking and talking about what their position and thoughts is listening to the people that are suffering on the on this level. Well, that sounds, uh, I can't believe I actually learned something today on the Sonic Lake podcast. Break <laughs> up, Larry. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and, and Jack is going to have some questions for you. And then we're going to get into the Masonic news. And uh, then we're going to listen to Larry Ramble. We're going to really dumb this thing down. Yes. All right. we, we had this all high and mighty. And Chris, we, th we thank you for that. Now we're going to break it down to the uh, to our average listener. Nice. We're back.
Today, more than ever, the fate of nations is led by a cabal of individuals and corporations. From the price of gas and basic necessities continually escalating, people are feeling like puppets with a chosen few pulling the strings. In other words, follow the money. In a fascinating work of historical fiction, The Red Serpent chronicles how the rich and powerful have prevailed through the centuries of history. 5,000 years after Sumerians bury the greatest wealth of knowledge the world has ever known, traces of it surface in the 20th century, along with omens and executions. The Vatican is in a frenzy to possess it. A secret society will stop at nothing to control it, and innocent people are doomed by obscure connections with it. In a bizarre quirk of fate, an obsessed French policeman, an alluring philology professor, an ex-Mossad rabbi, and a powerful Jewish family join forces to solve a triad of ancient puzzles. They must battle their way through Europe, outwit assassins, and dodge overwhelming foes. But how do they convince governments to aid them in their quest? What if they run out of time? And can they pull off the phenomenon that will change civilization forever? The Red Serpent by Larry Maris is available at Amazon, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble, plus fine bookstores everywhere. This is Tom LeBaugh from Abraham C. Trichler Lodge, number 682 in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. You are listening to the Masonic Light Podcast, Masonic Conversation Without Pretension. And welcome back, everybody. We're uh, we're back with uh, our guest, uh, Chris Rocky, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Rocky. And uh, we're going to turn the, uh, the show over now to our uh, to Jack Harley, who's going to ask some uh, questions for Masonic Would You Rather. Masonic Light listeners. Get ready for Masonic Would You Rather. Uh, thank you, Pete. Um, boy, coming in uh, on the tail end of that last segment uh, is going to make this look really dumb. But that's why we're here, to kind of look really dumb. Well, that's why we brought you in, so you can look really dumb. I make it look easy, don't I? How about that? Uh, so so what we're going to play is a little game that Jason Lewis came back from juvenile delinquency with uh, called Would You Rather? You remember this when there was a sleepover and you'd play the game, Would You Rather? Well, this is... This is the Masonic equivalent of Would You Rather. So originally I had three of these questions, but I'm going to scrap the third one because it just waxes a little too political at this point. So I'm going to go with two. Okay. Would you rather, Dr. Reverend, Holy Chris Rodkey guy, would you rather floss with the high E string from Jason Lewis's oldest acoustic guitar or tutor Larry Maris in social media? (laughs) <laughs> i think i'd rather tutor uh larry on that one uh, well he needs a lot of that so we're you're hired that's what we're gonna do all right those of you that aren't following larry on uh face twit um larry's larry's having a hard time learning uh how to tag people um hashtags at, at hashtag larry dot maris slash com thing yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of like and he, you know he's one step away from signing his post larry like like yeah. aunt helen we tried to help him but there was white out all over his computer screen <laughs> so we don't we're just gonna go with that all right second question second and last question for the day would you rather sit bare-assed on a fire ant hill or sit <laughs> in church with Pete Ruggieri. Hmm. 
Well, we we were in church once before, but he's he was standing. Yeah, see, so you got to sit next to your fidgeties. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I would have to go with the ants because I've heard, <laughs> I, I don't, I have to guess that Pete probably can't sing the hymns too good. Oh, that's true. No, but I do have a Mennonite wife that can, uh, she, she's used to that, that Mennonite harmony that they do. So I, it really confuses me. So she gets mad because I won't sing. <laughs> do you sit on the other side of the church when you do that? I just, I just sit there in awe while they, they all look at the tattooed Freemason Catholic sitting in their midst. <laughs> <laughs> very welcoming very welcoming. um jackson you're gonna handle our news yeah um also sitting in for for jason uh in the masonic news what? by the way field. where is jason oh who knows yeah goofing off he's looking for another podcast to do he, I think, he, uh, he didn't take a flight to atlanta did he uh ooh, i don't know um I th isn't he might even be in Atlanta, I think, for business. Jason, if you're in Atlanta, give us a call and let us know how that went. Yeah, just, you know, come up for air anyway. And now. Good news, everyone. Sonic Light News. News not fit to print. So I thought uh, for the purposes of this, the, at least the first one of these I'm going to do, I'm going to try as best I can to channel our brother, Walter Cron Cronkite, through this first segment. So. Uh, renowned Masonic scholar and archivist of the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry Southern Jurisdiction, the illustrious brother Arturo de Hoyas, recently completed a translation into English of Anderson's Constitutions. <laughs> Complaints from across North America that English English is just too hard began circulating late last year, and in an effort to dumb down the complex document, Brother De Hoyas volunteered to make this historical work accessible to our American brothers. In a related story, Albert Pike's famous Morals and Dogma will be re-released as a graphic novel in late 2017 <laughs> in commemoration of the Drunken Assembly of Masons at the Goose and Gridiron Alehouse in 1717, <laughs> which had nothing whatsoever to do with the Scottish Rite. So I guess that's from the uh, the pa our good friends at the Past Bastard. That's it. They uh, they well it, it it came out of Larry. He Larry the Past Bastard posted it, and and Larry of course took it as real news. So he started spreading <laughs> oh, it around I on Facebook. Oh my god! I can't believe this is. Oh what a so, so so anyway, we're just we're just passing that one along. Have you ever Sonic Snopes for Larry? Sonic Snopes. <laughs> Uh, the next one is um, I, I, is real in, in some respect. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to play this one straight, sort of, kind of. Uh, Nazi Masonic treasure trove on its way home to Scotland. Uh, thousands of documents and artifacts looted from Masonic lodges in Europe by the Nazis are being returned to their rightful owners. The goods were plundered from European lodges during the Nazi brutal persecution of the secret order. Many of these lodges were set up by Scots in the 18th century. On October 28th, 1934, Reich Minister of the Interior Wilhelm Frick issued a decree defining the lodges as hostile to the state and hence subject to having their assets confiscated. Herr Frick, being of uncertain parentage, was thereafter referred to as that fricking Nazi bastard. <laughs> 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 okay, that one worked. <laughs> that worked, yeah. <laughs> yeah all right. <laughs> so, uh, along the same lines, uh, a new Grand Lodge to be chartered. 
Following several decades of underwhelming protest, the citizens of Western New York, in an attempt to rid themselves of the unwholesome burden of the five boroughs, have embarked on a campaign to secede from the state and form a new independent nation to be known as Western New York. The movement, called New Yexit, has created the need for an independent Grand Lodge having jurisdiction over the new territory. The Grand Lodges of both Tennessee and Georgia, along with the Grand Lodge of Newark, New Jersey, have pledged to recognize this new Masonic body. Welcome, brother. The violence against uh, immigrants has really gone up since then. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Jack. Oh, that's... Lord, my God, that's it for the Masonic news. <laughs> oh, so, um, Larry, do you have anything? I, I, well, one thing, on a sad note... Um, most likely, um, our, our, our producer is going to focus on his real life and is retiring from, uh, from the podcastery business. So what's really scary about that is he gave us instructions on how to do this ourselves. So right now we just show up in a room and we talk into microphones and he fixes our mistakes. So, uh, in about two weeks, we're going to have our own show that we're actually going to record ourselves. So uh, enjoy this one, because this is probably the last one that's going to sound good. <laughs> but that's not going to stop us. We're going to we're going to push forward and just sound like um, amateur hour. Yeah, we are. Larry, do you have anything else going on in the coming week? Uh, coming weeks? Coming weeks um, not that I can think of. That's good. That's great. Uh, not, Jack? What you, not what you wanted to hear. Right. Jack, you have anything coming up? No. Um, I do. <gasps> What I do, but I want to ask. I want to ask Chris first. Chris, anything Masonically? Anything? Uh, you know, are you going to be on Fox News as a you know commentator yelling at someone? Well, it's summer and things aren't going on too much this summer. I just agreed to be the uh, the assistant editor of the Journal of the, of the Masonic Society, um, and uh, this Saturday is the Tall Cedar family picnic in in York, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. And I hope the weather's nice. So. Um, I love the tall cedars because it's family friendly and, and my kids and my wife enjoy coming. Uh, so that'll be a lot fun this Saturday. Um, I've got, um, I'll probably go to our Supreme council in New Orleans prior, prior to our next show. Um, that would be the grotto grotto. Yeah. So, so grotto has their, um, annual Supreme thingy dingy this year. It's going to be in New Orleans. So, uh, yeah, you have a body that is known for having fun and drinking and you're going to have it in New Orleans. It's going to be a mess. Now, the only thing is that it's also going to be 5,000 degrees. So We're trying to arrange a hurricane to come cool things yeah, off. Right? That would be nice. Yeah. That would be nice. And then um, I guess we have in August 5th, 6th, and 7th, the Colonial Grotto Association is going to meet right here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So uh, if anybody's out there is a grotto member, you're welcome to come. It's a big deal. Um, I'm going to try and get permission from the powers that be to get a tour of the old Masonic lodge downtown. So that could be, you know, for the members and their wives. Um, it really is outside of maybe uh, well, the grand lodge of Pennsylvania is probably the prettiest place in the world. Uh, Masonically, but, um, there's some just beautiful, beautiful artwork in our building. Downtown. Yeah. That room's breathtaking. If you can get yeah. So, uh, and it's an empty room anymore, but you can still all see all of our artwork all over the ceiling since the 1700s. It's pretty cool. Mm. Um, I guess that's about it. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Um, we'd love to have you back sometime. And, and the thing is now that, you know, Sundays usually conflicts with you, but now we can, you know, we can meet you on a non-holy day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> thank Made you for it. recording on the Sabbath. 
Yeah, you had to wait till I had a day off to to do this, but I'm happy to be here. Well, now that your friends love all the religions, are you off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Are they all booked for you? I'll, I'll try to work that out. Okay. I'll try to work that out. All right, guys. Uh, anything else? Larry has nothing. All right. So, guys, thanks very much. We'll talk to you in a week or so. Peace. Peace. We didn't do the clip. Yeah. Okay, so I, I got uh, you get some important bonus footage here. <laughs> Larry's like, you forgot my you forgot my part. You forgot my part. Premature podulation. So here you go, Larry. It's your time to shine. Thank you, Pete. And you have some things you can say in there too. We, we want to give special thanks to Masonic Scarves. They've been one of the faithful advertisers on this program. Yeah, because I own it. Yeah, you own it. And uh, now is not the time for scarves, although Pete will take special orders because you can sell them any time of the year. But remember one thing. Football season's only 50 days away. Start thinking scarves. Start thinking cold weather. In about 50 days, Tony Romo will throw his first interception. Absolutely. 62. I looked it up this yeah, morning. Okay. Can I say, I got, I bought two extra grotto scarves that my wife is going to turn into a stole that I can wear uh, <laughs> for Masonic uh, religious service. Oh, for chaplaincy. Yeah, that'll work. Ooh, That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I have some extra. You can make a toga. Very good. <laughs> Also, I hate to say this, but somebody needs to say special thanks to the Red Serpent. Oh, okay. Yes, I'll say it. So, uh, and, and as you know, Larry is also an author. Uh, he wrote the first book of this trilogy, what, seven years ago? Yes. And uh, he's been threatening to have the second book out. Any seven day, is an important number. Any, any day, any day now. Second book is with the editor, and she's a real pain in the ass. Sorry. The of con. But if you, if you go to uh, LarryMaris.com, it is actually a really good book. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I want to get special thanks to... Jack Harley. Jack Harley for being here. Ta-da. Chris Rodkey, of course, the Reverend Dr. Chris Rodkey. Thank you. And to Mason, not a brother, who basically is our producer and does the editing for us. We loved working with you, man. Also, too, I uh, want to give special thanks to our director, Rocco Ruggieri, whose girlfriend... Now, he's, he's down. His girlfriend left him for greener pastures. They're and dogs. Why do they have pastures? That's not a cow, Larry. It's a grazing dog. Also, news director Jack Harley, who's temporarily filling in for him. Uh, Jason Lewis, which we have no idea where he is. Also, too, we have, we have foreign, no idea where you are, we, Larry. We, we have foreign correspondents. I don't have any idea where they are. But I'll give a shout out to Not A Worthy. And I'm a blather who never ceased to amaze me. This is like a tall cedar dignitary list. And finally, <laughs> finally. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. we'll, be here. we'll be here for three days recognizing <laughs> people. Different. And uh, finally, to the uh, people who keep us out of trouble and quite possibly out of jail, the law firm of Swindler, Steal, and Corrupt. Until next time, this is Larry Maris. Uh, me, Pete Ruggieri. Jack Harley. Chris Rodkey. Have a great day and thanks for listening. Ciao. That was good.